0: On this week's Bet the Process podcast, we will be talking through a review of the college football national championship and the struggles that Rufus had in the second half. We will be talking about all the NFL games. Um, We'll be talking about some narratives around underdogs. We'll be discussing the sports action article about hedging and where we think it went horribly horribly wrong and then we will as always be doing man versus machine and talking through our final nfl games as always the bet the process podcast is brought to you by the sports action app which is the best sports app to see live uh, scoring and get good gambling content it's the best uh it's the best app for the sports better and it's not even close so thanks and with that let's start the process we yeah. 21 of the bet the process podcast uh i'm jeff ma and rufus are you still in morocco
1: i'm still in america yes sir wow another How's week that? and then i'm back to america
0: <laughs> everyone's gonna be waiting for you with open arms dude is there like a, some sort of a ticker tape parade waiting for you
1: you know i don't know i have to win a few more bets
0: Hey, did you want to do some sort of a contest to see, like, if one of our listeners can w- wants to come to dinner with us for that dinner you owe me?
1: I think that's a great idea.
0: Yeah, maybe we should do that. We'll have to on Twitter. Why don't you guys suggest to us some some contest type ideas? Maybe we'll think about this. Um, okay, well, let's start off with the national football, college football national championship. Um, obviously, it was a great game. Uh, I actually went to the game. Uh, which really, was, you were there. I was there. I was sitting in pretty close to the Alabama end zone in the lower level. Uh, the atmosphere was unbelievable. It was, I, I mean, I never have, you know, seen, it, it's just I've never been to a game like that. Um, it was way more exciting. I've been to a, a couple Super Bowls. It was way more exciting than the Super Bowl. Um, and for me, like, you know, I had, I think we talked about this. I had a uh, Alabama futures position. Um, I did a sort of utility hedge, um, because I was going to the game and I, and I wanted to root for Al, uh, for, for Georgia. Um, uh, and I also thought Georgia was a better team or I thought there was certainly some value there. Um, I know that the analytics did not necessarily agree with me. Um, so the, I hedged out with some combination of Georgia money line and Georgia with the points. So the three outcomes that could have happened, i.e. Georgia winning outright, um, Alabama winning but not covering, and Alabama winning and covering. Uh, the all three of them were were decent outcomes for me, but the the medium outcome was what happened. So I was I was fine with it. Um, did you end up having any action in the game?
1: Uh, I had a lot of second half action, but I'm glad to know that your intuition is smarter than analytics.
0: <laughs> I don't know if it's smarter than analytics. I mean, I think that I, I'm like concerned at some level, and you know, especially. The idea of college and how little we know about these teams playing against each other, and, and maybe maybe this is like a stupid thing for me to say because certainly the SEC teams are playing against each other, so we have a lot of common opponents and that type of thing with these two teams. The so, you know, analytics should have been really solid. Um, but, uh, you know, I, mean, I don't know. Sometimes, sometimes these analytics break down, right?
1: Yeah, but I, I mean, why is this sort of an edge case in your opinion?
0: It isn't. I was just—I okay. was just—I was just realizing that it wasn't really an edge case as I was I mean, talking I think through it. We I can mean, come, yeah. right? yeah. come up with narratives, right? We can with narratives, but the, like, I think the reality for me was that I just felt like Georgia had uh, better um, offensive, you know, skill position guys, i.e., quarterback and running backs, um, than Bama did. Um, well, now listen,
1: we I mean, look at look at coming out of the game. Look at what we're saying now. I mean, who would have thought that Bama would have brought in a true freshman quarterback with almost no playing time? And you know, he throws that game-winning touchdown to another freshman. It basically, like, it, it that second half has to scare as you see SEC opponents uh, for the next few years.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I at one point we had a couple Alabama fans behind us, and in the first half, I turned around and I said, you know. Because I had heard that this backup Tua was was, they said he was a better thrower than Jalen Hurts, and he he'd gotten. You know, one of the things I noticed during the season is that we had a, a few different plays um, in different games on Alabama unders in the second half when they had big leads, and they brought this Tua guy in those games, and he was still like pretty significantly running offenses. We lost, um, uh, I think, all of those unders. Because of how efficiently he was running the, that offense, and they were basically still running things to give him real reps. So I actually turned around and asked them. I said, "You know, what's the what do you guys think? Do you think your backup's better than Hurts?" And they actually said, "Yeah, but you know, he, he's not he's not going to see the field for you know for a little while." Um, and then obviously he came in the second half, and we all well, know what happened.
1: Yeah, and I, I do think that the narrative that Georgia didn't really have any film on him is, is probably a, uh, an accurate one.
0: Do you think that people in the market knew, like some people in the market knew that Tua was going to start in the second no. half? Or do you think no, that I was unknown? Think,
1: I, mean, I think that was unknown. And I don't know how I would have priced that anyway. I, I think I still would have liked my Georgia second half position. By the way, I got absolutely destroyed in the second half there. I had um, <laughs> Georgia plus five and a half. I took Georgia for the game money line laying minus 320. And I had under twenty two and a half, and so that that touchdown, you- that that crazy lucky, you know, fourth fourth and goal throw it up, and somehow the receiver's there, touchdown pass with like what was it five minutes to go, um, basically sealed the deal for that under. Well, it did seal the deal for the under, and it it, um, and then obviously, I lost that the Georgia money line, uh, in overtime.
0: So what was your true price at halftime um, if you bet a minus what three twenty? Do you remember?
1: Um, it was minus 480. So I do think I have problems with those edge cases that it, it seems like my model is too sure of itself in those. I mean, I, I show a lot of value on that those favorites uh, or, or the team winning, um, being able to sort of hold the lead and, and sort of the favorite before the game not being able to come all the way back. But I also do think that the market tends to... Um, anchor themselves towards that initial point spread a little too much and sort of think that a comeback is inevitable. And my intuition said, yeah, of course Alabama is going to come back, uh, which is why I I like the Georgia Pet, because my intuition is not normally um, that sharp. I mean, the
0: fundamentals in the first half were not very good for Alabama. They were not doing anything offensively. I, I actually no. did not think I did not think Alabama was going to come back. Um, there were some. There were like two or three plays in that game that completely changed the complexion of the game. I mean, there was the third and seven where Tua ch- should have been sacked, and that would have been you know a really different game at that point if he gets sacked there and they have to punt and you know that they're questioning a little bit of even the decision to bring Tua in at that point because he had he didn't do much. Um, I think that was a big play, and and obviously um, you know the fourth down was a big play and. The missed there was some a lot i don't know if you've read any of the complaints about the officiating
1: yeah no I, I really I, yeah I, there were a couple of calls i saw that like that phantom fat pass interference penalty i think that was on a third down
0: the yeah that was on that score. was on the third down in that last in the last drive yeah it was third but
1: also 10. also george's tackling just wasn't very good it seemed like every play, there was a broken tackle, and they got you know, it, something. It, there was a play that looked like it would be stopped at the line of scrimmage, and they end up getting like six or seven yards out of it.
0: I mean, I just, think, I think that Georgia just got tired, right? I mean, they they had played a much higher paced game, very very recently, um, and I think in the second half, their defense just got tired. That's that's kind of what I think happened to why they were missing those tackles at that point.
1: I mean. Who cares, right? I mean, uh, maybe that's right, maybe it isn't, but they missed the tackles and what happened, happened.
0: Yeah. Okay, well, let's move on to the NFL um, and let's talk a little bit about this week in futures. Um, one of the things that we were talking about off the air was that at this point, um, you're not going to get a lot of value on futures. And if you have a, you know an opinion on a team like Philly or something, the better thing to do is what people call a mechanical parlay, which would be uh, betting the money line on that team, and then the next week rolling that over to the money line again, and then rolling that over. Um, how do you feel about mechanical parlays versus betting futures? themselves? Well,
1: I've never heard—I've never heard that term, so I feel like I'm being educated here. Mechanical really? parlay.
0: Yeah, uh, it's a—it's a—it's a term that people use.
1: It's a term that you made up just now, or?
0: No, no. I, people use it. I've heard it on um, a certain podcast that we talk about frequently. Um, that that we probably don't want to publicize.
1: So, um, yeah, I, I obviously think that that is going to be a better option. Just parlaying the games and rolling over the bets uh, rather than rather than getting the futures, especially for uh, the long shot teams, because the teams that really have very uh, a very low probability are never priced like they're never priced well enough it seems like the books don't want to offer. I mean, they're never going to offer like even the bills. They weren't going to offer like 200 to one on them going into uh, the playoffs, even though like that would have been a a more appropriate price.
0: Looking at your numbers, um, it seems like you have Minnesota um, ranked pretty high um, as sort of the odds on favorite to now win the NFC. Um, What do you make that line against new Orleans?
1: Uh, against New Orleans this week, I make them a six-point, two-point favorite. So they're they're getting they get they have the extra rest which is helping, and they have a slightly uh, greater than average home field advantage with playing a team, um, <laughs> playing um, a team that's not that familiar, and the fact that they're not in the same division. Um, and I'm not I'm not going to share all the secret sauce of the home field stuff, but.
0: Yeah, you don't you don't have to I mean but I, basically I was... they're
1: they're, get, they're getting an extra they're getting over four points relative to what they would be um where they'd be on a neutral field so I only have them as about one point8 points better than the Saints on a neutral field interesting that, that I opened at it, it three or three and a half and you know, I would have grabbed some at three if I'd been fast enough three and a half I didn't and now it's up to five
0: yeah it's it's I think, which direction do you think it'll end up going? Do you think it'll go back down or do you think it'll keep going up?
1: You know, I'm not sure. I think it'll close right around five. I wouldn't be surprised to see it go back a little bit though. I think anytime you have a move that big, it's there is some pressure to sort of, um, sort of reverse a little bit. So off the air, we were talking a bit about
0: these games and there being value and some of the overs. Obviously, um, in the locations where these are going to be played at this time of year, the weather could be a pretty big factor. How are you handicapping weather as you
1: look at these games? You know, I use weather not just for playoff games and cold games, but, but every game of the week. Not just weather, but, you know, the surface. Um, whether the game is at night, whether it's indoors, neutral field, of course. And so, you know, wind speed and rain and temperature are all factors in there. I, I do think it is difficult with some of these extreme temperature games, and you know, just extreme cases of anything in general are harder to forecast, and so we don't really have a large sample size of games with extremely cold weather since 2000, which is how far my database of play-by-play data goes back to. Less than 1% of NFL games since 2000 have been played with it with a temperature of under 20 degrees, and you have one game this week forecasted uh, to be 16 degrees at kickoff, and that's the, the Steelers and Jaguars, and two other games that are going to have sub-freezing temperatures. So. Um, it's a challenge, but it's I think that you have to realize that there are uncertainties in your estimates of the weather effect and give it a little bit of um i mean I guess there's uncertainties in anything you're estimating but i mean i i tend to I tend to trust my my model's numbers on this.
0: So Philly, you were saying is is sort of the more extreme one. The line um, on the total opened for at 44 and has gone all the way down to 41, which I'm guessing is weather related.
1: Yeah, yeah, because you know it's you're gonna have a 15 mile an hour wind, which is gonna be I think uh, a bigger factor than the 31 degrees. You do have a small chance of rain as well, which. That's the kind of thing, though, if, if it rains and it rains hard, it'll have a huge, Im- it could have a very big impact. But if it doesn't, you know, there's no impact. So
0: interesting. Would you grab so you'd like the over at 41, I guess, absent of the weather?
1: I do. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, and even with the weather, I do. Huh. Obviously, I, I think the totals, you know, I, I make the, the weather adjustment about two points down from where I would have it on a new, on a sort of average. Uh, weather game. Got it. But it, it's this, this week is interesting because every single game, my total is substantially higher than the market's on. And a lot of that is that a lot of these teams I've liked the overs on like throughout the season, or I've at least had opinions on the over um, more so than the under. And uh, I don't know if the market is also just overreacting to the weather or the fact that the Jaguars often sucked so much last week or the fact that the market doesn't like Nick Foles. Hmm. I, well, like I think we know I think, we know. I think we know that the I think, I think
0: we those know are the all things Nick Foles. So we've decided that one by what that line is. Um, let's let's move on. We'll, we'll go back to the individual games um, after uh, during man versus machine. And we'll maybe talk more specifically about it. Let's do a little bit of a fader aid um, and, and get into some topics um, that were sent to us. One is, you know, the, again, like the narratives that dominate the NFL are hilarious last week going into the week, everyone was saying, you know, favorites, 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 favorites um, in this round last year were four and O et cetera. And from that, I think we did see some value on the underdogs. I know that, that you were on underdogs. Um, we were also on underdogs. Um, the underdogs covered all four games. Um, mean anything? Do you think there was any value that was created by that narrative? And, and is that value still around? Or did this all of a sudden correct the market and the market now is is back to normal?
1: I do think there was that narrative out there, but... I really don't think it had a huge impact on the market. Either that, or I'm overestimating the intelligence of the market because it it was four games last year. You know, I mean that's just like in you know this past week, all four underdogs covered. So and a few of them won. I just, I guess I don't make a living on trying to see whether the market believes in these narratives or not. Um, I just compare my number to the market number and see whether there's value and. However, the market got where it got, that's not really that important to me. Yeah. But I, I mean, what do you think on that? Like, do you think that that I guess square betters, and I'm saying square betters. I'm assuming that we can think like I'm assuming that square betters would be driving um, the market towards this narrative um, if it exists. But do you think that, that this narrative is actually being priced into the market at all?
0: I don't know. I think that there was some definitely um, fear of favorites last week for the for the odds makers. I think they they wanted to get people off the favorites. Um, and I think that, you know, I was talking to someone um, in Las Vegas last night. I was at CES and he's a professional sports better. And he thought that the lines last week were one to two points different than what they would have been historically, meaning, like, he didn't believe that like, normally Jacksonville would have been, you know, an eight and a half point favorite historically. He thought he thought that there would be have been closer to like a seven seven and a half point favorite um, and that there is this adjustment that that the Ozmakers are having because of of the sort of propensity or the 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 fear of these favorites. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think you're right. It's a small sample size. It doesn't mean anything and it's just a narrative like anything else. Um, the reality is, what the fundamentals are for these teams um, and what that those fundamentals mean for them them playing each other.
1: But I completely agree. Like, eyeballing it last week, it really did seem like those favorites were overpriced. Well, you said that on the podcast. You just said these
0: teams... I don't understand why these lines are so big. These teams aren't that different. That was like one no. of the lines. And, uh, I mean, that's that stuck with me and resonated with me all week as I watched these uh, underdogs come in.
1: However, I mean, it's a sample size of four games, so I don't think you can say I'm right just based on that. But no, I that's what I'm saying. It's a small, thing. it's a
0: small sample size, so it's not, it's not like there's there's much to do about nothing on this.
1: But the um, prices are different than what I expected the market to have them at based on where the market's been this year. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So
0: why is that? Well, maybe in these four games there were certain things that, that made them think that, or maybe there is some sort of paradigm shift that's happening.
1: Or it could be something unrelated completely. So <laughs> exactly. I think we can so, be too quick to, well, we, to jump well, to we, conclusions. we're saying is we don't know
0: okay so um there was also some questions about favorites covering and winning versus um favorites only winning and not covering i guess there's been some popular narratives on some of these podcasts you know just bet the team that's going to win and you'll win x percentage of the time what are the actual numbers in terms of favorites covering um sorry favorites winning but not covering what what percentage does that happen
1: We were talking about this off air before we started recording. And I think I said it was 76 or 74.6% or 76.4%. One of those. Um, But that's the thing is that's all favorites. Actually, it looks like 74.7% since 2000. Although I don't think that includes last week, but you know, obviously if you have a a favorite of one point, they're going to win or they're going to at least um, push every time if they win. So, you know, favorites of less than three points, cover ninety six percent of the time that they win. And double digit favorites, of course, are gonna be less likely to cover if they win because
0: yeah, like, it's a, it's a nine so it's I, a I don't stu- understand this it at all. It's no, a stupid statement. It's a so stupid, stupid statement. Because like, like it's it's if it, if the line's eleven, you're not gonna just bet on the favorite because you think they're gonna win. I mean like just, am I gonna bet
1: on the Patriots statement. minus thirteen because I think they're gonna win? No. It, it it just is completely out of touch with math and statistics and probability and like everything else.
0: Yeah. I mean, basically, it's a dumb statement. So let's just leave it at that.
1: Very dumb. Statement. Uh, let's talk a little bit
0: about Chad, our favorite, our favorite topic on this podcast these days. Uh, Chad's article around hedging, uh, or at least sports action, they, they didn't really say who was writing it. And there was an, an article basically that they put up about you know, like, it was a mailbag with people sending in what their futures positions were and them suggesting what they should do based on those futures positions. Um, did you feel enlightened when you read reading this article? I,
1: I read it, and I didn't really understand it, because they would say things like, the math says to do this, but I didn't understand where they were getting that math. Like, does the math, I mean, does the math say that this is a good bet on its own, or, like, uh, I don't know, I mean... I, I really was just confused more than anything about how they could be sort of so seemingly authoritative on a subject as, as I guess, like open to interpretation and, and something that is very personal, like how much you want to hedge.
0: Well, that's why I think they tried to do this for your head and for your heart and what the mass says. I mean, I think our definitive viewpoint on hedging on this podcast is do not hedge unless you believe that the hedge bet that you're putting on has some value in itself.
1: Right. And or, in the case unless, that, yeah. That? I was going to say over some people, like, let's say some people will over bet their bankroll with futures, assuming that there will be an opportunity to hedge at some point and then, you know, and they will have more exposure than they want. And then they will sort of um, come back in and hedge it out. But um, uh, personally, I don't recommend doing that because what happens if you have you pick poor teams and you have no opportunity to do that, like then you've way overbet your bankroll and you're in a really crappy position. But um, yeah, yeah I, I mean, I think we, we agree on this though. Yeah. Well, I think the other thing too, is that
0: um, in certain cases, I think with futures, like, I think we, yeah, I, I, I understand the, the, overbet the bankroll is interesting. Um, I think when you go back to this idea that if you can close out a position with edge on, you're the side that you're closing the position out on, I think my advice would be to close it out you know, almost 100% because then you're taking away the variance. And we kind of talked about that last week about that being like a solid way to do it. Um, I mean, the, the reality is that if you're recreational betting, futures are fun. Um, and so sort of taking off some of that risk or locking in a victory at that point, I don't really have any problem with even if it is giving up edge. I mean, essentially, that's what I did with the Alabama, Georgia situation. Um, where I gave up value because I didn't want to be in a position of you know such high variance going into that game. Um, so I think my, the problem with this article, I think it's it's fine. It's an entertaining article in terms of you know talking through some things and some scenarios and whatnot. I think our problem with it is that there is no real actual math behind this, even though they say there's math involved.
1: <laughs> Do you think they mean the logic behind it? Because they can say, okay, well, if you know the Falcons win, you know, then X happens. And so this is, you know, you would be had, it's, it's more like the logic behind the hedge than the math, I think. Right.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm looking, I'm looking for where they say math in this article. I'm looking at the article up right now. Okay. The so the Falcons, sorry, let, me, these, let me, let me, let me like, just do this one. The yeah. fal, the, actually, okay. This guy has tickets for Falcons to win the Super Bowl at nine to one. And Saints to win 50 to win 1750 and he said the math says to let your Falcons bet ride while putting a small bet on the Vikings money line to protect your Saints future Atlanta is favored to advance. So what they're saying is that The math is saying that Atlanta is favored. So you should let
1: them ride. That's silly (laughs) So any team with over 50% chance is automatically gonna is safe to get to the next round That's is that that that's what the assumption underlying that? It's what this character math says. Yeah. I guess. Right, Here's let's... the other thing, though. Wait, wait. Like you were talking about when people bet futures recreationally. A lot of the time, it's you. You want to get that big payoff. You want to say, "Hey, I, I bet this team at fifty to one, and they came through, and I made this like a nice little pretty penny on it." But if you have like a hundred dollar bet at like you know eight to one odds on something, or on, like I, I'm guessing if you're a recreational gambler who's going to be betting a hundred dollars on a future, like then you yeah. know. That's not, I, I wouldn't say it's large enough to worry about hedging. I, I don't really care that much about locking in like, you know, a hundred dollar profit or something or a $40 profit or whatever it would end up being. Well, Rufus, you're dealing at stakes that other people aren't like some people that are betting a hundred dollars on a futures
0: to win 800 or something. That's a pretty big sizable no, chunk. of But change.
1: I think a recreational gambler gets into it, not to like come up with a come out with a small victory on that, but because they want to sort of hit that lottery ticket. And so if we're actually Maybe. talking about, and obviously this is, um, this is me talking about people's utility, which is going to be different than maximizing their expected value. But I would think that there's more utility in, in hitting that, that team that won it all. Yeah. You get the feeling and all that. I mean, No, you know, I understand. I understand what you're saying. I, mean, I just, I just,
0: again, like this is it's sort of like silly, right? Because we're trying to get into the psyche. This is like our third or, you know, two weeks ago trying to be armchair psychologist. We're now trying to get in the psyche of it. I think, again, if you go back to the most simple thing, you know, hedge for three reasons. One, there is a fundamental, you know, value in the hedge bet you're making. Two is reducing the variance and or, you know, the overall bankroll, like, you know, like risk, that you profile that you have. Um, and then the third one is is just a utility hedge at some level, which in, in that case, you just have to know that you're giving up value and you, that's what you're doing. But there isn't, you know, with, I think the only steadfast rule is the first one, which is like, don't hedge if you're not giving up value. But the thing is, a lot of recreational betters are never going to know when they're giving up value. If you go back to this, this article that Chad has, there's no Semblance in here of what they believe the underlying value of any of these bets are, which is like why it's sort of deficient of any real content or really value to a sports better.
1: Like, I would have liked a mathematical breakdown where they say, okay, if you make this bet, the probability that, um, yeah, the probability that you lose everything is going to be X amount. The probability that you cash, you know, this particular bet and lose your future is this. And so you can sort of, I mean, I think for a better to make it an informed decision, they would like to know you know, the different scenarios, the probabilities of, of each of them and and what their financial implications are for them.
0: Yeah, it had been nice to have them talk through a process that was actually much more scientific or much more mathematical than the process that they were you know, describing in that article.
1: And I don't think it would be that hard to do if they run simulations. And I think they do run simulations because they advertise it or Chad does on his newsletter. Chad doesn't you run know. simulations. No, Chad doesn't run them, but but he talks about the the machine uh, doing its thing.
0: All right, let's uh, let's jump into man versus machine and hit on these NFL games. Uh, let's start up the machine.
1: Some inexplicable reason are a three-point underdog hosting the Falcons. The inexplicable reason, of course, being Nick Foles. I was going to um, say it's very explicable, actually. <laughs> we when's, just don't When's the last time you've, you've heard someone say explicable? I, I just said. Just it. on its own. I know. Before that,
0: probably never.
1: Yeah, is uh, explicable a word? It has to be. If inexplicable is
0: okay. Well,
1: or wait, oh. is, in, is is de- is is debted a word? Because you can be in de- Indebted, but I've never heard someone say debted. Anyway, moving on. Uh, Machine has the Eagles as a three-point favorite, and we really just don't see the difference between Carson Wentz and Nick Foles uh, as being that great. However, as I've said uh, on this podcast before – We are also not very good at uh, making these sort of quarterback adjustments in season because it's hard to tell how much of the values created by at least quantitatively hard to tell how much the value in season is created by the quarterback relative to the offensive unit as a whole. So I I think I'm going to be high on the Eagles, um, but I don't think I'm six points too high on the Eagles. And that's what the market's implying.
0: Well, Here's my here's my as they say in the tout business. Here's my handicap of this game. If Philly had Carson Wentz, what would the line be? What six and a half,
1: something like that? Yeah, Philly would be a substantial favorite for sure. Six
0: and a half point favorite. Let's say maybe seven. So it's a ten point line swing because of um, Nick Foles. Um, and you know, I think the market has gone really far on Foles because of that sort of public game they saw him play against Oakland um, that nighttime game where he did not play particularly well. Um, I, I don't think Foles is is that bad. I certainly don't think it's this this large of a difference. And I um, I also think that if this weather situation is what we believe it will be, it'll sort of dampen the effect of, of Foles versus um wentz difference and therefore like even more i like philly in that case getting plus the three here
1: that's Um, an interesting hypothesis that that a bad weather game if it's going to be harder to throw it'll make quarterbacks less important and i'd I'd actually be interested to look at that and look at um basically in historical games if quarterbacks are less important in windier and windier games I understand the narrative behind it. Somehow, I don't think it's the data will bear it out because most of the time when you have a really cool theory like that, the data doesn't bear it out. Um, but It's not that it doesn't. Yeah. It, it's, it's not that it, it's hard to prove.
0: It would be my, right. my guess on that thing.
1: A- absence of evidence isn't evidence of absence exactly yeah so here's a question so philadelphia they have the second best defense um in terms of point like how i in in my power ratings they have the second best defense in the nfl at uh, plus 3.2 points relative to an average defense atlanta's uh middle of the pack at at zero plus 0.1 so philly's offense philly's defense (laughs) is a little over three points better than uh atlanta's now how i mean based on that like that there has to be a ginormous difference between the Eagles and Falcons' offenses to uh, to, to get to a spread of Atlanta by three.
0: Um, well, the other—you the other, know, there is a narrative right now going around that Atlanta's defense is considerably better than it's been this year, like that they've played much better, and that I, I do think that there's this sort of—people are— Are people are very bullish on Atlanta, especially after last week's victory against the Rams? Is it because
1: they're coming out? Is it because they made the Super Bowl last year and they've sort of been there before? There's just a lot. There's a lot of
0: narratives going on around them. Like if you read the mainstream media, like there's you know, like it surprised me that this line was what it is, but it didn't surprise me that much just because of the way everyone had been talking. I mean, we talked about it last week. I told you, like, the look-ahead line on, like, New Orleans going there was that they were going to be favored. And we we both were like, well, that seems a, a bit extreme. And then we get Atlanta going in there, and they're not only favored, but they're favored by three.
1: Right, which is very surprising to me. And was Atlanta's defense even that great last uh, – I mean, against um, – I mean, last week, yeah, against the Rams? They only gave up. I mean, they they gave up points. really
0: almost like twenty points, right? Because that that the, there was like that last drive that didn't end up in a touchdown, but could have. Could have. All right, let's move on.
1: Defense. Game. Wait, how much was the defense, and how much was golf just not looking that good, and not really in the fact that, I mean, you know, he, the, the fact that he is a, a below average quarterback according to ESPN's QBR metric, and um, and I have him rated as below average as well. So I'll I'll, I'll take yeah. That, I'll there is that, definitely help and get on that rating, but.
0: There is definitely um, – I, I thought a lot about that going into that game, um, which was like how good was Goff because the narrative, especially towards the beginning of the year, was that he was much better than he'd been in the past. Um, but then there were some pretty key games where he couldn't win for them. And so I, I do think like Goff is a bit overrated. So it's possible that like Atlanta is getting their, – their defense is getting a little overratedness from his being overrated.
1: <laughs> well, I think early in the year, too, I mean, they were, th- I mean, and for throughout the year, they threw a lot of screens and they had a lot of interesting play designs that sort of made him look better than he was and and really opened up their playmakers. But it wasn't really golf that was doing the job. It was well-designed plays and good and guys making uh, defensive players miss in space. Yeah, but. But I just want to say, like I before, we'll move on in a second. But Philadelphia, I have their their offense is a tenth of a point worse than average. I have Atlanta's is four points above average, which is one of the top de- uh, offenses in football. Um, that is they're, they rank fourth. So basically, and I still based on all that, I still have the Eagles as a three point favorite. So I would need to have, you would need to make the Eagles offense literally the worst in football for that line to be uh, at Falcons minus three, if going off of my defensive numbers. Right. So uh, to me, yeah. All uh, right. So we've we said, said a thing. thousand ways that we like I know. this week. Well, okay. It's, it's so the one far. game I, it's the one game I like. Okay. Uh, New England is a 13 point favorite hosting the Tennessee Titans and the machine makes that game 13 and a half. So machine doesn't have anything there.
0: Yeah, I really don't have anything in that game. I don't think I would bet on New England with all those get, giving all those points. Um you know, I, I could see a world where Tennessee has some success against New England's defense um simply because you know, Mariota is a mobile quarterback, which traditionally the Patriots have seemed to struggle with at times. So, um I, I, I that? Yeah. I mean, just as a fan, anecdotally, I believe that's true. I don't have the numbers to say that, but like That's
1: my. Yeah. Okay. I don't have the numbers. Uh, I'll I'll take a look at it and and get back to you next podcast. Sounds good. Okay. uh, They don't really struggle
0: against anyone, so
1: it's true. So it's not okay. Anyways, we can look look at mobile quarterbacks versus non mobile quarterbacks. I got to jot this down so I don't forget. Uh, Moving on to the Sunday games. Pittsburgh Steelers are a seven point favorite hosting Jacksonville. Ah, uh, machine doesn't have any value there. Machine makes it uh, Steelers minus seven point three.
0: Yeah, I like I like Pittsburgh there.
1: Um, I, you know, the, a lot
0: of people point are pointing back to the game they played earlier this year where Jacksonville beat the, them and sort of dominated, but they didn't really dominate offensively. Um, it was a lot of turnovers and a lot of Big Ben um, yuckiness. Um, that was was that the
1: big was that the Big Ben five int game?
0: Yeah, it was. Okay, I believe. Um, okay. but, and, and a lot of the offense that Jacksonville have came on like that last run that Fournette had, Fournette had like an 80 yard run or something like that to wow. push that number over. I remember um, that. The
1: game was yeah. Going to over
0: too. Yeah. I think both of us talked a little bit about liking the over in this game. Obviously it's going to be very cold there, but it doesn't look like there's going to be very much wind. Um, and there's some value there because of probably how bad Jacksonville looked, um, offensively I I, I do think Jacksonville's defense is probably a little bit overrated because of uh, being able to play six games against the likes of Indianapolis Colts and the Houston Texans and um, the Tennessee Titans who were not you know world beaters offensively so
1: I I concur I think they definitely are overrated I think that um, I mean I have them as the third best defense in football but the way people talk about it they're the number one defense in football Uh, And I have the Vikings is the number one defense by a by a wide margin. It's the Vikings plus five point one, Eagles plus three point two, then Jaguars plus two point nine. After that, like they're yeah, you have to adjust for strength of schedule, plain and simple.
0: Okay, let's move on to uh, the last game.
1: Last one, those same Vikings are. Five point favorites now against the Saints. That game opened at three or three and a half, and it's steadily moved up. Uh, the machine makes it Vikings minus six point two, so machine likes the Vikings if forced to choose a side.
0: Yeah, I like Minnesota there. I think this is an interesting this is an interesting handicap for me when I think about it. These teams played in Week One. The line was three, three and a half, I believe, and um, who was favorite? What's that? Who was favored? Uh, Minnesota was favored.
1: They were they on the road or at home? Do
0: you remember? They were at home. It was the exact same situation, and ah. um, New Orleans like couldn't protect Breeze at all. Um, like Everson Griffin was in the backfield the entire time, and that was the game where I thought Sam Bradford had become, you know, Tom Brady. His accuracy and and touch and everything mm-hmm. and they just, they just dominated that game. Now, what's interesting to me is. How much has changed in, since week one, right? Is you know what what is your ratings? Do you like how have your ratings changed on New Orleans and Minnesota since week one? Because it's interesting to think through that. You know, like do we do we really know more than we did then? I mean, I, I certainly think we do, but like we've always said that sixteen games in an NFL season is in itself a, a small sample size. Um, it is. I like Minnesota. Yeah. I, I definitely have visions of that game going through my head when I like Minnesota. Um, I think the market has a, has liked New Orleans a lot this year, and it's interesting that this line is going away from New Orleans right now. Um, it surprises me a little bit. So there must be what I think to be some pre- pretty sharp action on Minnesota in this game
1: yeah i'm i'm disappointed i didn't get in on that minnesota action early because it would have as i said been a nice hedge on my saints futures i have but you were talking about breeze getting sacked a ton in week one and funny you mentioned it uh breeze actually has my lowest uh or the saints under breeze have the lowest uh predicted sack number i guess so basically they're the um breeze is predict is yeah the least likely quarterback to get sacked against the average team on a neutral field of of any quarterback in the league. So I feel like the, the saints offensive line has been a strength of theirs all season. Plus Breeze is also um, I've always said like sacks are like 90% who the quarterback is. So I mean, Breeze has a lot to do with that as well. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, that's our show this week. Um, Again, thanks for joining us. And hopefully we will all talk to you again next week. We'd love to hear some ideas on Uh, contest uh, ways that we might be able to to figure out someone who can come have dinner with rufus and i
1: is that supposed to be a reward or a punishment
0: (laughs) good point good point see you guys next week